Welcome to the Paragol Podcast. This is Jerry Pitney, and today I am joined by the administrator of the Greenhouse Cottages of Bell Mead, Pam Diggs. Pam, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So you've been working in the long-term care industry since 1987. That That's means correct. you got into this when I was four years old. <laughs> uh, I am interested. How uh, did you get into this industry? Okay, when I was in college with my best friend, um, we were going to be pharmacists, and we were going to have our own pharmacy, um, P&L pharmacy. Um, when I got into college, uh, chemistry scared me, so I oh, went man. into sociology. That was the closest thing back then. Oh, that ages me. But at that point, they didn't have a social work degree, but I decided that I wanted to be a probation officer for juveniles. So I went into sociology, uh, got my degree, got married, and wasn't much out there. I didn't want to move away. Uh, so I went to uh, work at Security Bank just to have something to do. As I was a newly teller? married. Yes, I started out as a teller. Sure did. Um, stayed there about a year and uh, went to work for my mom and dad. They owned an all-star sporting goods store. Nice. We decided to get into uh, customized monogramming. I was the perfect fit, of course. Uh, so I went to work for them for about seven years, and I thought, this is not what I wanted to do. Um, Wasn't getting you excited? Not at all. Was it the same location then that it, it is now? It is. Wow. Uh, it's the same place. We expanded during the time that we were there. But um, me going into the uh, industry that I did is a God blessing because we were going to church. Um church we grew up in, got married in, and one day a stranger came to our Sunday school class, and uh, he said, does anybody know any uh, anybody that wants a social work job? And I thought, hmm. I said, what does it entail? And he was an AIT, which is Administrator in Training, what was then the Paragol Nursing Center out on the Highway 49 South. Um, so I said, you know, I might... I might do that. I said, I have a degree in sociology. I could take a test and get my social work license. He said, well, we do, you don't have to have a license. So I went and interviewed, and it was the worst experience of my life. Why? Uh, back then, things are not things were allowed to happen back then that don't now. Uh, like what, for example? They had half doors for people who have dementia, uh, behavior problems. Um, and as we were taking a tour, and I really don't know if this is appropriate, but um, it was around lunchtime, mm -hmm. and we were taking a tour, and as we rounded a corner, um, one of the elders let out a blood-curdling scream, and a tray of food went right in front of me, missed my nose Jeez. by three inches, and landed on the other wall. And I thought, where am I at? Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's pretty scary. <laughs> uh, the next day, I called them and told them I wanted the job. Even after that happened, after that happened, I went home and I was so disturbed by it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I thought, you know, I'm not doing much with my life. I went into this sociology degree to learn about people, learn about behaviors, learn about interactions, and I think I can make a difference. So I started out as a social worker. Uh, we had 185 beds at that time, okay. one of the largest nursing homes in Arkansas. Um, hmm. And 
What did the social work look like? Like what, what was your day-to-day? Well, I would go out to the hospitals and meet with people that were in the hospital that were needing nursing home care, answer questions for the family, talk to the medical staff, uh, see if they were appropriate, make all the arrangements for the transfer. Then once they get into our building, um, I worked with the family and the elders to um, help them acclimate because nobody wakes up and says, I want to go to a nursing home today. Right. So there's a lot of uh, guilt, mm-hmm. um, a lot of anger most of the time. When you said there's a lot of guilt. Are you talking about on, on the side of the family that put the person in or are you talking about the patient? The Mostly the family. Okay. Um, because they feel like they're failures because they can't take care of their loved ones. Uh, um, so I did that for from 87, um, and then they made me the uh, assistant administrator in 98 and talked me into taking my license to become a licensed nursing home uh, administrator. So I sat for the test, um, and at that point, 17% of people passed it the first time. 17? So, yes, 17%. What makes it the, the fail rate so big? Well... Long-term care is the third most regulated industry in the world, second only to uh, nuclear power plants and NASA. No. Yes, yes. They are the most regulated industry in the world. NASA, nuclear plants. Uh And nursing homes. And nursing homes. There's a lot of uh, lawsuits and things like that, too, though, right? Yes. Yeah. So you're learning a lot of, like, law a no, of- not necessarily, just regulations, uh, and there are state regulations, there are your company regulations, and then there's federal regulations. So I actually took the last pen and paper test. Uh, that ages me again. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I went to Little Rock, sat for the test, the state test first in the morning, and in the afternoon we took the federal test, and it took two weeks for us to get our results. Um, but I passed. Did you feel good about it when you took it? Like, I got this. Well, my husband, I actually called him, um, and he said, how did you do? I said, Franklin, I am either the smartest person I've ever known, <laughs> or I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I said, it was an easy test, but to tell you how I did, I don't have a clue. Wow. Did not have a clue. So, um. And you passed it. I passed it. First time. First time. That didn't make you feel good. It did. It did. Uh, I didn't tell a lot of people I was taking it because I was afraid I would fail. But, uh, I understand. So I came back, and I worked under an administrator there for about a year. Um, and then they started sending me to buildings that were in trouble. Either the administrator had been fired, the administrator had quit, they had had a bad survey and got rid of them. So I was going into homes that weren't in stable condition, only because... I had my license, and I was just an assistant. Yeah. So I did that for about a year and a half, and uh, then they gave me my first home in uh, Jonesboro. So you must have done a good job of of stabilizing these uh, just unstable homes. So like, like, why do you? What do you think it was about your your makeup, your personality, your gifting that allowed you to go in there and and stabilize them? Well, mostly it was the nurse consultant that was with me. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm not a nurse. Uh, I'm strictly an administrator, and they usually sent an administrator and a nurse consultant in. Um, And like I said, both times uh, they had had a bad survey. 
So we went in knowing what their deficiencies was, what was the main issues that the Office of Long-Term Care was looking at. And I was very blessed to learn from some wonderful nursing consultants. So um, we would get them past their survey, and uh, then they would move me somewhere else if Mm. there was a need. Um, I did spend Y2K at Wynn, Arkansas, in a little mom-and-pop hotel um, because, you know, everybody thought, Y2K, Mm -hmm. computers are going to crash, things are going to go crazy. So my husband and I spent um, New Year's Eve 2000 over at Wynn, Arkansas. (laughs) And we had to be at the facility. We had everything that we could possibly plan for to take care of. Uh, Nothing happened, and we came home the next day, and the world went on. So that was very interesting. But then after that, I was approached by an individual owner. At that time, he had three nursing homes, and he was building a new one at Gosnell. And he wanted me to come to work for him to open up this new nursing home. And I thought, I can't do that, mm. you know. But uh, I went to Gosnell. The building was finished, but they were still doing a lot of interior work. None of the supplies, the beds, nothing was there yet. It's just a shell. And my office consisted of a card table, a lawn chair that I took to soccer games, a cooler, and a telephone. And so for about a month, I did interviews and hired all the staff, wrote new policy and procedures, which I had to help with that. Um, And we opened up a brand-new nursing home from the ground up with no patients lined up at all. It's incredible. That was an amazing um, time for me. I grew a lot um, because, I mean, it was mine. There was nobody I could go in and blame for the conditions. Yes. So, uh, and that was in Gosnell? Gosnell. Mm-hmm. So were you I, driving there every day? I was driving there. How many hours day. did you put in uh, probably in that season? You had to be working uh, a lot. A lot, yeah. Because I would it, imagine that's just not one of those things that you can just, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the big trucks would pull in with, uh, I think we had a license for 100 beds. So these big 18-wheelers would put in with all the beds. We'd have to... I had hired a maintenance man, uh, and he had started early. Uh, we got the beds in, we got the cabinets in, we got the kitchen supplies in, mm-hmm. offices, chairs, um, set up the whole nursing home, and uh, opened it up with two patients. You have to open with two, call the state, and let them know that you're open. Uh, they pick a time to come in, do an inspection, make sure everything's going right, and clear us and give us a license and then we can admit more patients after that so we went through that and that was something not a whole lot of people had the opportunity to do that and it just it just happened and a big blessing there because it was amazing yeah what did you learn from that experience oh my gosh you have to rely on god a lot (laughs) uh the drive there and back gave me lots of time to plan my day um, talk to God, go over what all kind of possibility things. Because in long-term care, when you've got people dealing with frail and sick people, mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have people that die. You have people that get major injuries. You get people that come to you not being able to do anything for themselves, totally dependent. Um, so you have to be prepared for anything that you can Mm-hmm. Sometimes not even think about. Mm-hmm. 
How have you, over the years, you've been around obviously a lot of, I mean, some, you, you have some beautiful stories. I'd love for you to be able to share those, but you've also been around hardships. You've been around mm-hmm. tragedy, um, probably some heartbreaking things that you've, you've witnessed. Uh, you get close to people, or at least you see them, they're familiar faces and they pass away. Like, how do you think that has impacted you? Like being that close to people in, um, I don't know, kind of the twilight of their life, so to right. speak. And then also being around death as often as you've, probably been around because i'm guessing i mean you know we've had people like dick pace on here who's a corner who's clearly been around death a lot we've had others on here funeral home directors all that but you've also chosen to be in a field where you know like that's gonna be a regular part of the job that people that are in the building you're in are gonna pass away at some point um so i'm just curious like what how do you think that has changed you your perspective on life any of those things i don't take things for granted as much as i used to um I can empathize with people a lot better. Uh, My own dad um, died in the old uh, Bellmead before we built the new one. Um, It was hard to be a daughter and an administrator. Um, And my mother just last year passed away at the greenhouse cottage, is the new cottage. so I see it from both sides. Mm. Um, I know what the regulations will allow, and people are always asking us for things that, by law, we can't do. And it's hard to make them understand that when they're in a situation where they're mm-hmm. losing someone. Mm-hmm. So I have a, I have a gift that I've been on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've probably been to more funerals than most people do because we do get a we get involved in their lives. They become our family. Most of the time, not most of the time, a lot of times we are the only family some of them have. Mm. Um, it's sad that there are a lot of people that come to the nursing home with no family. Mm. Um, and then there are some families that are so involved, which makes our job easier because we know what they, what their routines are, what they're accustomed to doing. We try to abide by their uh, lifestyle that they had at home mm-hmm. and the greenhouse cottages affords us that more than a regular institutional nursing home in what way um our campus is made up of uh, 11 cottages there are 7200 square foot homes mm-hmm. there's only 12 elders in each cottage and they all have a private room, a private bath, and a private shower. Yeah, and that that was new with the new location. Yes. I know my grandfather was and my great grandmother was at the original Bill Mead. They had mm-hmm. a little pond. And okay. They shared a room. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah the private and everybody over there. Yes, everybody there had uh, a roommate, and we had I think ten rooms that there was three people in each room. Um, wow, and that's not the way life is supposed to be. No, you know. So, uh, did you even know that at the time? Like when y'all were there, would you be like, "This is not ideal"? Yes, yeah. it bothered me. Right, because you had a hard. You can't place somebody with a total stranger and know how it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we had to make assumptions just on what little bit we knew about them and try to do the best we could. But that's not that's not how people should live their lives. They should have their own space, their own privacy. Uh, and be treated with as much dignity as they can be. So when the greenhouse cottages came along, and I went to my first training, um, it was 
so eye-opening because we thought we were doing a good job. We did do a good job in the institutional nursing homes. You did the best you knew how to do. We did everything to improve their quality of life. Uh, We loved on them. We gave them excellent medical care. But when you go to one of these conferences and you see this new model, um, it's it's Mm mind-blowing. And to see the difference, because when we moved five and a half years ago, we took, I think it was 88 patients from our old institutional run-down mm-hmm. nursing home into the cottages. And we did it um, one cottage at a time. So we had people at the old building helping them pack, get their stuff together, helping them get on whatever mode of transportation we had lined up, and take them to the new ones. And to be in the, the new cottage, when they walked in... Um, there was a lot of tears that day, mm-hmm. a lot of smiles. Uh, a lot of, of our elders felt very uncomfortable because they had never been in anything that nice. Mm-hmm. Um, the families were crying. I mean, somebody who hasn't worked in or had family in long-term care cannot imagine the difference that made. Mm-hmm. And at that time, <clears throat> we were only the third facility in Arkansas had the cottages uh, our company had built one in magnolia and Ryzen, and we were the third um, long-term care is all i've ever done i can't imagine me doing anything else but there are still days that i have to pinch myself because i am so blessed to have this not for me but for this community for the elders and their families that we serve yeah i, I mean and i've heard nothing but good things about um facilities and i've been in there a couple times i actually have a grandma that's in there right now and um i'm curious for those who might be listening to this you know at some point they might have to transition or a loved one might have to transition um into that role is there things that you've learned along the way that will help people with that transition like is there anything that you could impart to them or encourage them with because it's not easy right i mean you said nobody's like i can't i hope one day i get to live in a nursing home right and you know that. So any any advice or encouragement you give to families who might be soon to be facing that transition? You know, a lot of people think that in order to enter a nursing home, you have to sell everything you own and go in broke. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. Um, we have 132 beds available, and only, I think, 19 of our elders are private pay. The rest are on Medicaid and Medicare. So there, there's a lot of things out there, misconceptions. I think they have to leave, uh, sell their home. They can't. To enter a nursing home under Medicaid, you can earn, I mean, you can still own your own home and the land it sits on, one car, and a prepaid burial, and have less than $2,000. You know, if, you, if they've worked all their life and saved, they probably they probably will lose some things. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to be destitute. You don't have to sell your house. Um, Medicare is a new, kind of new concept. We do have uh, two cottages that are dedicated to shortly short, uh, totally short-term care. That means the people are coming in from the hospital after a surgery or an illness and need therapy. 
uh, Medicare and their supplemental insurance will pay the whole thing for up to 100 days. And they can maintain their home. If they get better, then they can go home and everything, you know, will return to normal. So there's lots of options. Uh, If there is a lot of money involved, I would advise anybody to see an elder law, specifically elder law attorney, uh, because there's ways to maintain their money legally to care for the spouse that remains at home. Mm-hmm. And then as far as like the patient itself, like what are some things that y'all are doing that could even put the listener at ease on how you're caring for the patients? Like what are some things that you're specifically proud of in the care you're providing for these? Um, well, like I said, they don't have to share with a roommate. Mm-hmm. Uh, our cottages are designed, The there's a huge uh hearth area that has big tvs it's got chairs couches recliners um they can come out of their room into the hearth area families come and visit there's plenty of room for visitors there's a huge dining room table i think it's 17 foot 17 foot long and all of our elders are encouraged to come out eat at the table enjoy Mm. socialization Uh, the staff sits down and eats with them oh that's cool Uh, We do all the cooking and everything in the cottage. There's a big, huge kitchen. Uh, We've even got some elders that help out in the kitchen. They want to make their special chicken and dumpling recipe, and they go in there with the staff, you know, put on your hairnet and face mask and go in and cook. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got a beauty shop in every cottage, and we have a beautician on staff, so they can make weekly hair appointments at no cost. Mm Uh, we have a whirlpool. Can I go in there? And uh, <laughs> we might can get you in there late one <laughs> evening after everybody's gone to bed and let you use the spa. Uh, we have a whirlpool in each cottage, uh, plus there's showers, so they can take a whirlpool or shower. Um, they have all the privacy they want, but they can step outside their door and be at home mm-hmm. uh, with other staff. Our setup is more conducive to children and family visiting because it's not so institutionalized. Um, they come in the front door, sit down, watch TV. Um, mm. I mean, it's it's the most home-like environment you can do without being in your actual home. Mm. And I think that's what most people want to hear, right? I yeah. mean, obviously it's not going to be home, but no. you want it to be as close to that as, as you can possible. be. And then provide good care. And I'm... I'm interested as far as just from the nursing staff, the medical staff that you have there, are there trainings that they specifically have to go through that would be different than maybe someone who does not work in a nursing home? Is it different or is it basically all the the same thing? Um, We do provide specialized dementia training um, for our staff because they, the CNAs that work in each cottage, they are a self-managed work team. They set their own schedules amongst them. Um, they handle their problems. I mean, it's not like you go into a factory and um, just do one thing at a time. I mean, they do all the cooking. They do all the cleaning. They provide the care. Who, who does? The CNAs. Oh, okay. Uh, they do the activities. We have an activity director that provides a calendar and supplies and helps them come up with programs. But each cottage that you go into has a different feel to it. None of them are the same. Mm. None of them are ran the same. Um, some may eat dinner at eleven thirty, and another house may not eat till mm. one. The staff—it's so intimate because there's so few there. Mm-hmm. 
you get to learn about their past. You learn what they used to do. You learn what they like to do. Uh, you could walk in one house. There may be four or five ladies sitting around doing a crossword puzzle. Um, another one uh, just last week, they did a. They bought uh, the ceramic pots, and uh, these ladies all love to do gardening. So uh, they had the dining room table covered with pots and soil and flowers, and they were all doing their mm-hmm. uh, gardening. Uh, the men, we've got one house that is all men. It didn't start out that way, but that's how it's ended up. Um, they do bago. They do horseshoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we keep corn. um on the back porch because they're lined up with the woods. Oh, that's cool. And we've got turkey and deer out there all over the place. And those men sit out, throw out corn, sit out there and smoke and watch the wildlife. Um, I mean. Yeah, that's great. Yesterday, one little lady was wanting to get out so bad, and um, she can't walk real well. So I got the golf cart. We have two golf carts on campus. Got her on the golf cart, and we went riding around up and down the street, and she was waving at the ladies sitting out on the front porches. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we got back, her hair was a mess, but she had the biggest smile. Um, you know, I mean, everybody does things to take care of their elders. Mm-hmm. There's not a bad nursing home. They may be bad staff, but um, it's just getting to know your elders and know what makes them happy. That's fantastic. I- it's a beautiful picture you painted. You know, I think like some of us, we think of a nursing home, we think of the uh, scene from Happy Gilmore where he drops his mom or his grandma off. <laughs> it's like, that's what you know you think of. And it's like, to hear you talk about it, it like, honestly, it's like, again, I'm not trying to like oversell anything. I mean, it's not like we're getting any sort of benefits or whatever from y'all, but it's like, like truly it seems like y'all are doing the best you can to provide um a good experience to where like it feels the best it can like a home away from your right. home and what i love about it too is the focus on community and individualizing mm-hmm. things and not making it so institutionalized and um just kind of a one-size-fits-all where it's like this is the way everything's going to be right. run no matter who you are it's like because people are so unique and right. their stories are unique and their situations are unique and i just love that you're honoring that yeah and so it's really and, and that's one of the things behind the greenhouse cottage is that <laughs> gives you the opportunity to know them enough to love them and take care of them and they in return are happy um and everybody deserves happiness even if they can't do anything they deserve to be happy it's got to be rewarding for you it is you know someone back in you know whenever it was 1997 you're like i gotta do something with my (laughs) life you know after getting a tray thrown at your face yeah it's like you know you could have very easily been like okay nope i'm gonna play it safe i'm gonna you know pretty sure i might have a trophy thrown at me or something (laughs) it's also sporting goods or whatever but that's about it right you know like you chose to go into a really difficult field and um, that a lot of people, honestly, I don't know if I could do it. And Good. so I'm very grateful that you've chosen it. I'm curious if, um, you know, what have, what have you learned? I want to talk, we're going to move into some rapid fire questions in just a moment, but okay. I, I want to talk about, um, the dying process, which it, some people, you know, they're going to think, well, that's morbid. Why do you even think about death? Don't think about it until it's here. And I, I just tend to be the believer, like, if you can know how to die well, you're going to live well. Right. And so, like, because honestly, all of life is filled with with death um, to some extent, whether it's the death of a relationship or death of a season or a death of a job, or and then it all kind of prepares us honestly for kind of the final death. Right. Um, 
I'm curious from your perspective, I'm guessing you've been around some people who did not die well, and then you've been around some who you're like, that's the way I want to go. Right. Like, is there anything that the people who die well, like, is there anything they have in common? Or is there people who don't die well that you can think of like, those are things they had in common? Um, I hate to see families that want to control the death process. Um, in what way? A lot of them want them sent to the hospital, uh, want everything done that can be possibly done to save them. Um, and I get that. But there comes a point, um, especially if, you, if, you, if the elder has given you their wishes, and they do that. They mm-hmm. tell us quite frequently, um, please don't. My dad made me promise that I would not send him back to the hospital again when the time was getting close. Um, and the night that they called me and they said that uh, they thought he was having a heart attack, and I said, do I need to come there or just meet him at the hospital? And as soon as I said that, I thought, he is going to be so mad at me. Um, I backed out of the driveway, started toward the hospital, and they called back and said, he's gone. And I said, thank God, because he would have never forgiven me if mm-hmm. we'd gone to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our patients, our elders, I don't call them patients, um, they want to die where they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Families don't think about uh, the ambulance coming, getting them out of the bed, putting them in a stretcher, um, starting IVs, taking vitals. They're hearing all these conversations. Uh, they get to the hospital. They're put into a um, room back in the ER. Um, they get IVs. They have all these tests done. All they want to do is dying peace mm-hmm. around people that they know. Yeah. My staff, and this is true for all nursing homes, I don't want to sound like we're the only one that can do things right. I don't know of but two or three people who have ever died alone in their room with no one with them. And those were very unexpected deaths. Um, I have staff that will stay over the night. If the family's out of town or they don't have any family, they will talk amongst themselves, and somebody will stay with that person mm-hmm. when we know that death is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for people to let go. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just like in a minute, I knew I had planned, you know, Daddy's going to die there. Uh, but when I got that call, first response was, I'll meet him at the hospital. Yeah. So um, most people in the nursing home know that the end is coming, and they're ready for it. They just want it to be as peaceful and uh, around people that love them. How do you think they become, like, how do you, it, can we have uh, assurance that our death can be peaceful no matter what we're dealing with? Like, yes. with I know with, like, medical technology and just other things, like, is that pretty much the case all the time across the board that, hey, you don't have to die in just uncontrollable pain and you don't right. have to die with, like, losing your dignity? Like, right. are those things? Yes, when people first come into, I mean, and it's a very hard conversation to have because when they're most of them, when they're coming in, they're doing fairly well, they're stable. But you, we have the conversation with them. You know, when the time comes, you need to be thinking about what you want done and not done, uh, how you want to uh, 
face, these kind of things are going to happen as the end draws near. We don't make them make that decision that day, but we bring it up. We tell the family and the elders, you need to be thinking about that. Uh, We have care plans on a regular basis, and as a person's condition starts uh, declining, we have those hard conversations. We have the nurse. We have social worker. um, And we go over, there's a whole form. You know, in this instance, what do you want done? Um, if it comes down to this, do you want this done? Um, and we try to prepare them as much as we can. We keep them updated. Um, you know, this is what's happening at this point. This is what you can not look forward to, but this is mm-hmm. what you can expect mm-hmm. in the very near future. Sure. Um, and a lot of families will fight it till the very end, and then they will come around and see that how the staff loves them, how comfortable they are. And they agree, but there are some that don't, and you know that's their choice. But yeah. do they? Does it, uh, do they usually have a chaplain, or do y'all have a chaplain? Uh, we have a social worker, and she is a pastor, okay. part-time pastor. Uh, we do have relationships with all the church. If the family has a specific person or religion, we do allow them to come in and do whatever. Uh, the ones that choose to go with hospice, they have a chaplain that comes on a regular basis. Okay. Yeah, I had a, uh, there's a guy actually came on this podcast um, that is currently um, drawing towards the end of his life. And I had an opportunity last week to go and and sit with him. And he actually called for me to come and and meet with him. And, you know, one of the things that I always even just say from, and just for those who are listening from, and I'm sure you say the same thing from a sociological standpoint, but I'd say even from a pastoral standpoint is like, if you want to die in peace, you've got all the medical stuff. Like they can do their job really mm-hmm. well, but also from a relational standpoint, it seems like at least the people I've been around who are having a hard time dying well, mm-hmm. there's relational dysfunction somewhere. And so, like, I'm always trying to encourage, like, make peace with God. Like, make sure that's like first and foremost, but then also, like, make sure you make peace right. with others. That you're not dying with bitterness in your heart or this person that you refuse to talk to anymore. Or right. make sure you say I love you to the people you want to say I love you to. All those kind of things. And so, um, it's just. I appreciate you telling and sharing that with me. And so, and for those who are listening, because I think it's an important topic that we don't talk about very often. It is. On a more lighter note, any like beautiful moments or just funny stories that you have that you kind of hold dear to you um, that you can share? Um, Actually, yes. Uh, About eight months ago, um, I got a phone call because we're, of course, the fire alarm system. I get a call, and it goes to a monitoring company. It goes straight to the fire department. They called me about 6.30 one afternoon and said that um, one of our elders had gone up to the front door where the fire alarm is and pulled it. They ran up there to get it silenced so that they could check and make sure nothing was going on. And she said, Miss so-and-so, what did you do that for? She said, because I want to see those handsome firemen. <laughs> Uh, it was hilarious. And, of course, when the, the fire department got there, the nurse was telling them what she said. So they came in and, and talked to her for a minute. Uh, about three months ago, she did it again. Uh, oh, boy. So, so we've told her that she's going to have to leave the fire. We're trying to figure out some way to do that. But she says she gets um, she gets the urge to see those beautiful firemen. And that's why she calls them beautiful firemen. <laughs> That's so, incredible. Uh, and things like that happen all the time, but that one sticks because that, that was really <laughs> funny. It was really funny. Oh, that's awesome. You have to send your son-in-law, uh, Jeff, out there one of these days. <laughs> yeah. So, He's been out there a few times. Um, 
obviously you're with Bellmead, so we have Green Acres. Uh-huh. Um, is that it as far as assisted living? Uh, Sunshine. Sunshine Manor and the Chateau on the Ridge are assisted living. Green Acres and the Greenhouse Cottages are both skilled nursing. Okay. And there is a difference. And then um, we also have... Um, The Senior Bees? Uh, yes, the Senior Bees yeah. Center uh, provides wonderful uh, services to the people who aren't ready, uh, who can still live independently and don't need to go to either assisted living or skilled nursing. Uh, so Greene County is very blessed to have a very talented, very professional, and very uh, good system in place to take care of the elderly population. Mm. Right on. Well... There's a lot more we could talk about, but I would love to, for now, get into the rapid-fire questions. This is a list of questions that we ask everybody that comes on. Okay. I know I didn't really give you any time to think about these beforehand, but I know you'll do just fine. You ready for it? I'm ready. Okay. So, what is either the last show or movie you watched, or what's the last book you read? You can uh, the last movie was uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Where the Crawdads Sing. It was amazing. I've not heard of it. Really? I'm sorry. I'm getting some dirty looks. Uh, Before that, I saw Elvis, so surely you... I have not watched it either, but I've heard good things about it. Was it good? Yes, it was. I've heard good things about it. Good. Um, What is... I used to ask, what is your favorite band? Because that's pretty easy. But can you think of a favorite song or favorite songs? And they just really get you like, yeah, that's that's a good tune right there. That one has stood the test of time. Good too. Okay. Bridge Over Troubled Water. Oh, come on. Little Simon and Garfunkel yes, up in here. Yes, yes. Uh, and the second one is um, Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. Yeah. Is that a, uh, what's his name? Frank Sinatra? No. Um, Alba? Abba. Abba. Yes, Abba. Yeah, Abba. Okay. From, it's the movie, and that's one of the songs in it. Okay, I got you. Well, yep. I'm with you. Totally different spectrum. Bridge Over Troubled Water. <laughs> that's my favorite. That's a good one. What is your favorite meal? Shrimp. Anyway. Boiled or fried? Does it matter? I love yeah. shrimp. I'm with you. Uh, cocktail sauce? Yes. Amen. That's a good one. That's good. Cocktail sauce. Um, <laughs> what is on your nightstand right now? Uh, my BiPAP machine. Yeah. A lamp. A clock. Not a gun? No. We get a lot well, of those. That's, we that's of those. on my husband's side. We get a lot side. of those. Okay. We get a lot that's of those here. Yeah. Uh, my my Glock. Glock. Yeah. That's on his side. Got a Ruger over there. Yeah. My AK-47. Yeah. Um, excellent. All right. So give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Just an ordinary moment in your life right now that brings you great joy. When my daughter calls me which is two or three times a day. I'm very blessed. Awesome. Got a good daughter. Last question. What is the one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? Other than Jesus Christ and my Savior, um, the opportunities I've had to make a difference in the lives of the elders that I serve. 
It's a great answer, and it's a good place to end. So thank you for making space to be in here. I know that this isn't like it's a little bit out of your comfort zone to come on here. Out of my I know you were glad zone. we didn't have a video camera on you the whole time, so hopefully it was painless. Uh, I really enjoyed it. hope we get to do it again sometime. Thanks so much for uh, making the time to be here. And for those who are still listening, thank you so much for tuning in. We uh, we do this because of you. So we truly love uh, to provide content where we get a chance to celebrate the stories, the amazing people living here in Paragould. And speaking of that, if you have not already done so, please go on iTunes, give us a five-star rating so more people can find us quickly and, and learn about these incredible people. Um, also, remember, we're on the different social media platforms. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And so you can definitely check us out there. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.